Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. This week's episode comes from something I noticed last week. It was a video review by a well-known Apple journalist. He was talking about the HomePod Mini. And he was talking about Siri and about all the things he can do. And then he started talking about audio quality. And he said, I'm not an audiophile, but I think it sounds good. And immediately I was thinking, wait a minute, how are we in a world where tech journalists think that they have to qualify a statement like it sounds good or it doesn't sound good by saying I'm not an audiophile, but. And one example that I posted on Twitter is I've never heard anyone say, I'm not a sommelier, but this Cabernet Sauvignon is quite good. I'm not a film critic, but I think Citizen Kane's a really badass movie. You just don't see that, yet there's something in the world of audio that's got people convinced that even seasoned tech reviewers don't have the qualification to talk about audio quality. So, to discuss this, we got our own favorite audiophile, Chris Conacher, back on the show. It's been more than a year. Chris, it's really good to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to, great to connect again. I can't believe it's been more than a year. 2020, what a great year. I'm just happy to see you guys. <laughs> yeah, I only noticed when I went to add you to the Skype call and it said, last chatted more than one year ago. And you've been on the show so many times that it just seems like, you know, it seems like it hasn't been long. But anyway, so... Why have we gotten to the point where audio quality is so esoteric that you have to know the secret passcode to be able to talk about it? What's happened? Oh, yeah. I wish there was one single answer to that question. But, you know, I think it's it's multifold, but audiophiles tend to be vocal. And if somebody says, you know, oh, this thing sounds fabulous, they're certainly not shy of saying, oh, let me see the measurements for that side of the audio file, or absolutely not. You weren't listening to it. You weren't listening to the right music or, you know, I, I guess coming out at people. So they feel the need to qualify that with I'm not an audiophile. But also I was thinking about this, too, in that, you know, to just say something sounds good, you might not want to be an audiophile. Because what I listen to, my friends would go, there's no bass. I need it to boom. So just there's a whole so there's a whole bunch of, not wrong, but kind of wrapped up in that I'm not an audiophile but statement. Yeah, and, and you just said the what's really important is that there are many kinds of listening, there are many kinds of listeners, there are many locations where we listen. We're talking to you, you're in your sort of attic room that you converted to an audiophile haven with $50,000 speakers and room treatment and everything. We'll link in the show notes to the articles you wrote on your website, Audiophile Style. The process was fascinating when you went through this. But we know you well enough to know that you've got $50,000 speakers up there, but that you're fine with a small speaker downstairs or out on the deck or whatever. I think maybe some audiophiles aren't and, and things have to be, everything has to be perfect in every location, but there are questions of context. You don't always need 
the perfect sound. Uh, just for one example, if you're really sitting and listening in that chair that's at the apex of the triangle, then you really want perfect sound. But if you're doing other things, does it matter? A hundred percent, it does not matter. And yes, like downstairs, I have, depending on what week it is, a different all-in-one unit that my family absolutely loves to listen to. If I put down an audio file system there, be like, it would have holes in the tweeters, no doubt. But nobody would listen to it. They wouldn't use it. They probably wouldn't even like the sound because when they turn on Beyonce, it's got to boom. It's got to move them. It's It's got to be everything. I can tell you for a fact that is exactly what happens because I have attempted to maintain the old 70s style home entertainment center and everybody has gravitated away from it. I mean, they stay away from it. And they all go back to their own little listening devices. So much so that um, the audio systems that I had set up around the house have now been disintegrated and are now using something else. We have two Echo Dots, one in the kitchen, one in the bedroom, and that's it. And I have the nice setup in my office, but nobody else is interested in messing with all the knobs and the wires and the stuff. They just, yeah. it's not important. It's just, it's too much trouble to go to. Yeah. So I was just thinking about this too, Kurt. You know, I'm not an audiophile, but if they just stopped at I'm not an audiophile, that's valuable information for a lot of people sure. to say, oh, then I will probably like what this guy's talking about, you <laughs> yeah. know, yeah. because audiophiles and, say, civilians listen differently. We like different things. So, yeah, the, the putting the but at the end, though, is, is kind of like the... The qualifier that's mm, doesn't feel yeah, good. It, it, it's a qualifier that's denigrating the person who says it in some ways. Again, this is someone who's been reviewing tech for, I don't know, 20 years, and, and he knows a lot about tech. And we're talking about the HomePod Mini. It's a $99 speaker. Let's be serious. At $99, you are not going to get extraordinary sound. It's to be expected that that someone reviewing it for the technology is not going to be reviewing it for the audio quality because most people aren't buying it for the audio quality, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's physics at play. The HomePod Mini is only so big. It can only do so much, you know, without breaking the laws of physics. So, you know, have at that one. Say, yes, there's physics involved, but... <laughs> no, you wouldn't do <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> I'm not a physicist, but... <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So another thing I noticed about the HomePod Mini is I watched a few minutes of a couple of YouTube reviews. And a lot of people were saying, okay, this follows on the original HomePod that was $350, whatever, which really sounded great. And I'm thinking, you know what? It really didn't sound that great, but I can understand that for some people it did. I know that you didn't think it sounded very good at all. Yeah. Yuck. So these people were giving their opinions on the sound of the original HomePod, and they weren't giving the whole, I'm not an audiophile, but there's this, like, why were you saying it sounded great because everyone else was? Because, I, I don't know, there's this confusion about, it's like audio quality is not an absolute. It depends on context. Your room up there, I can see the panels on the sides of the walls for the to shape the audio and, and absorb sounds and reflect sounds, and there's absolutely no way to say something always sounds great or never sounds great or 
It, it just seems it's just so complex. How did we get here to the point where, on the one hand, you've got audiophiles who just revel in the complexity and go into you know minute details, and on the other hand, you've got people who think that the simplicity is a bad thing, even though they're not going to buy anything complicated. I also think that complexity uh, to the uninitiated seems like, well, if you need all of that equipment to listen to a Billy Joel album, then there must be something about the Billy Joel album that I'm not getting when I listen to it on my, you know, close and play or whatever it is you've got. So there's a certain intimidation factor about calling yourself an audiophile, uh, especially among guys, too, I think. Let's let's admit there's a guy thing going on here. Um they, you know, they're trying to see where where do I fit in the hierarchy. And if you say you're an audiophile, but I'm not really an audiophile, don't don't hold it against me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so my opinion doesn't necessarily fit in with what I imagine the smart uh, audiophile would say. Yeah, I think there's a big aspect of this too, is people being comfortable with themselves. You know, yeah. yeah. Even if you're not an audiophile, who cares? But just come out and say, I love the yeah. sound of this. HomePod Mini, period. You know, and yeah, it right. sounds good to yeah, me. Yeah, be willing to just accept that there's going to be less than one percent of crazy people saying you're not an audiophile, you don't know what you're talking about. Just be comfortable with that. I, I think we're we're in a shift. Uh, in some ways, we had a very long discussion before we started recording, uh, sort of tangentially related. In some ways, the shift in audio is so drastic now between everyday audio, like Doug was describing, like you were describing, though you were saying, you said every week they have a different all-in-one system. See, if you're changing it every week, that's kind of tricking them. But we've gotten that there's such a gulf now between, I mean, back in the days, everyone I knew in the 70s had a stereo at home. They had a, you know, a receiver, a turntable, and a pair of speakers, and some of them had better stuff. And the gulf now is that, as Doug was saying, he listens on an Echo Dot, and you've got $50,000 speakers, it's as if there's a bigger separation that, that the, the dynamic range of listening between simplest to complicated has gotten so much bigger with a huge space in the middle. Very true. I hadn't thought of that before, but yeah, it's kind of like pumpkins. You can get pumpkins that are the size of a dime and you can get pumpkins the size of a car. <laughs> it's... Yeah, that, that's a good point. There's an article in The Wirecutter, and I don't know if it's recent. I follow The Wirecutter on Twitter, and it was a thing about sound bars. And they did a test with a bunch of musicians listening to 5.1 AV systems, comparing them to sound bars. And most of them liked the 5.1 system better. They could hear the vocals better. It was richer and all that. But most of them said, but I wouldn't bother. Because I don't want the hassle of all those devices and, and cables and all that. So, is it wrong to say, well, that's just good enough? Absolutely not. I think even audiophiles, they hate to admit it, but they have to come to a point where it's just good enough. Because if you're willing to spend the money, somebody's willing to accept it from you. And you could go on for literally ever buying the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So... I think we've always we've compared it to Zeno we've compared it to Zeno's paradox in the past where it just never reached perfection. Yes, yes. Each each time you get half of the remaining distance closer, but the remaining distance you just get half of that and that and that and it's just tiny incremental. So how can there be dialogue between audiophiles and and the butts? 
How can we learn to speak the same language and respect each other? And I'm being a bit facetious. And, you know, we've talked enough that you know that, that I care about music more than sound, and you care about sound and music maybe equally, and that some people are mostly about sound and they don't care if they listen to the same Steely Dan album over and over. Maybe these people are just never going to communicate. Maybe we're just speaking foreign languages and they're never going to agree on anything. I think at the ends of the continuum, that is true. For the most part, you know, people are just like, if you listen just for the sound and you want to hear one drum head on Steely Dan your whole life, have at it. If you enjoy it, you know what? <laughs> who am I to say you shouldn't enjoy that? And right. for people who, you know, like music more or less, whatever, I think for the most part, most audiophiles could care, couldn't care less. Um, the ones on the polls are definitely the noisiest and unfortunately can drive behavior more than the people in the middle. And could this be mirroring politics in a little bit? Yes. Um, sure. But you know, that's that's usually how it goes. I think it comes down to the people, you know, rendering opinions to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the people on the polls. This is the HomePod Mini. Sounds great, period. And I think we'll, we get context based on who you are, what publication you're writing for, or, you know, what you're talking about in it. If, if I say, yes, I put a HomePod Mini next to my Wilson audio speakers, and it sounds great. That may mean something different than the guy who put it next to an Echo Dot and says it sounds great, or, or whatever the situation is. It's all about context. Yeah, it is. You were talking about the the, the ones at the, the the one end of the poll were the noisiest, and I'm wondering how much they influence the industry. That they are so noisy, and the industry thinks that well, everyone's thinking like they are, whereas it's not that many people who are really thinking like those extremists. Yeah. So. They do have some influence, but they usually only influence, say, manufacturers who don't know where they're headed. They're looking mm -hmm. for to create something to fill a void. They don't have like this plan of, here's what we believe in. We believe in building these speakers. This is what we do best. Here's where we're going because we believe it's right. So for the most part, manufacturers, sure, they look at the noise at the polls and go, okay, feedback noted. We're carrying on with what we believe we want to do. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy reading about audio and audiophiles. And, you know, we used to, I used to get stereo review. As a, my, I was in the house. And it's just fun to read about this other, this bleeding edge about audio. Um, I may never own 50,000. I can pretty much guarantee it. I will never own $50,000 speakers. I don't see anything wrong with owning them. I love reading about them how they're built, you know, what they're, all of that stuff. It's like, I mean, it's like good science fiction. It's, I don't know. It's just <laughs> fun to read about. Um, it informs how I think about, you know, uh, the music that I have, the sound that I have, the audio setups that I have. When I was in radio, same thing. It's like you always want to read about what's the next thing, what's the next thing. And, uh, you know, it's just fun to read about, even though you may never get your hands on it. It's, it's certainly fun to, to understand. So as far as like, so I guess I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, I certainly know that having a low-end speaker like a HomePod, uh, a HomePod Mini or the Echoes that we use here um, is low-end. I have mid in here. I'll never have high-end, but it's good enough. And I think a lot of people are just happy with good enough. But it's still fun to read about. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm in the same boat, and I think most people are. I'll certainly, like, 
I went to the Concourse d'Elegance at Pebble Beach to look at a boatload of Ferraris and Bentleys. I will never be able to afford one, but I just love the craftsmanship, everything right, that goes into it. It's great, and I'm certainly never going to say I'm out of this hobby because Ferrari just came out with a $2 million car. Right. There are people on the polls who say, audiophile, this whole hobby's over because there's a million-dollar pair of speakers. The people on the polls, fine. They can say that. Most people in the middle do look at it and go, that's cool craftsmanship, or, yeah, that's not for me. I'm never going to spend it. I'm not interested. And it's like, so be it. It's the people in the middle that should be driving this more than the people on the ends. I think uh, your comparison to car guys is very apt. I think it's a very similar culture um, in all aspects. I mean, I'll bet you could find parallels. Uh, you know, there are uh, guys who are into the high-end futuristic cars that are guys who are into the old vintage cars. That are, I mean, it's the same thing in audio. We, you can find those those groups, and you can find people arguing about the most mundane, banal things in both areas uh you go to any car forum and there are pages and pages and pages of discussions of rear view mirrors and things like that that make absolutely <laughs> no sense to anybody who isn't totally involved in the minutia of it just like audio stuff audio maybe, maybe that's a new website rear view mirrors and usb <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was thinking of another area where you see that and it's watches again it's very male and you can get a decent watch for, you know, 25 bucks. You can get a Timex, let's say 50. But this one's 1,000, this one's 2,000 and 5,000 and 10,000. And it's like, oh, it's the, the, the company made their own movement rather than getting a movement from someone else. And I was looking into this a few years ago because I got into watches just out of curiosity. And the, the obsessiveness of, I don't want to say audiophiles are obsessive, even though they probably are. But I mean, this sort of this sort of constant chase of something. In some ways, there's, there's these people are looking for. Here's something I thought about. I don't know if I ever told you this, Chris, but some some time ago I thought about this. You buy new gear and you get that squirt of dopamine, and it lasts for a week or two. And forty five minutes. Get, it lasts forty five minutes. Let's well, face it. Well, it depends. You got to break the speakers in. So, but then you need to get that squirt of dopamine again. So you need something else, and it's a drug. It really is a drug. And whether whether some people can actually be satisfied or not, or whether they're constantly chasing after more dopamine, I, th I think it's very different. And you probably got all types in your forums on the Audiophile Style website. And as you said, the ones at the polls are really obsessive ones are the noisiest, and it's like, it's an addiction, isn't it? Yeah, it really can be, um, and if you're lucky, the addiction becomes, I got something new, but now every time I listen to the music, it gives me that hit of dopamine. If you're lucky, you can get into that area, and at the same time, you know, I look at it and like, you know what, if you're not happy every week and you get something different that makes you happy, so be it, you know? I, I don't want anybody. Yeah, if people yeah, can afford yeah, it. I don't want anybody looking what, at what I do and go, ooh, no, you shouldn't have fun doing that. And I know you're not saying that that's what you know is going on. But, no. But yeah, no, no. I I think I feel uh, like it's unfortunate that some people are in that circumstance. But if they enjoy it, they do. And I think most of my friends and people that I know, we get that hit of dopamine when we listen to stuff. And like I recently wrote yeah. an article about visiting a dealer in Santa Monica. We were playing Van Halen at like 100 dB, 
<laughs> that was such a great experience. It was fascinating. I was like, this is what it's all about for me. Whereas other people were like, huh? Van Halen? 100 dB? Get out of here. See, that's another thing, because not only do you have the gear, but you've got the different styles of music. Mm -hmm. um, you, you listen to music very different from me. For me, it's, you know, Grateful Dead, it's Brad Meldow, it's, it's Brian Eno, and these things, you know, there's some magic in, in music. Um, and I, I guess getting people to agree, you know, the Venn diagram of different musical tastes, um, you know, Doug and I have a lot of overlap, but... As you can tell at the end of every episode of this podcast, our next tracks are vastly different. Um, what we're interested in is very different, but that doesn't mean we can't appreciate the joy of listening to music like that. As long as you get the dopamine hit from the music, I think that's really all that should matter. So what's new in the audio world, Chris? It's been more than a year, and the, the high-end audio show was canceled this year in Munich. Uh, is any of this being virtualized now? You can't really listen over a Zoom call to the quality of really good speakers. Yeah, so there's been talk of virtualizing it. I don't think it's gone very far. There's been some you know, live presentations. But you know, in 2020, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to have to make an appointment to watch something live on the Internet when... I could watch it anytime I want. So, you know, yeah. those have gone over, you know, whatever, halfway decent. Um, what I'm really, the last few days I've been really digging into is Amazon Music HD again and figuring out what the deal is there because I wrote an article a few weeks ago that they're claiming to stream HD content, but it's lossy. They are not streaming <laughs> HD content. Um, so I got another piece of equipment in to help me test and that device is able to pull down lossless HD content, but Amazon Amazon's own apps are not able to do it. So I'm working on writing that up. I think a lot of people will want to know if you're paying for Amazon HD, you're not getting what you're getting unless you have a specific type of device. And especially if they'd been raving about the sound quality for months on a device that's not getting the HD quality. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. There could be a lot of people going, oh, oops. Oops, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what's been in, in my head at least the last few days. You know, the last time you were on was the day that they announced that they were going to be doing Amazon HD. I think it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. So what about these little smart speakers and standalone speakers? What's your opinion on them in general as the trend for audio? Yeah, so as the trend for audio... I don't, you know, the smart part of the speaker, I think for most companies, you know, it was how do we get into their house? Oh, if we put smartness inside of a speaker, we'll get in there. I think now, you know, they're coming up with much better devices for that, whether it's an alarm clock or an Echo Dot. Um, I don't see the smartness really carrying over into, yes, all speakers got to have this smartness, you know, voice activation thing. Um I know from an audiophile perspective, barely anyone is interested in it. And I think for the most part, it's not there because we all want it to do what takes us several clicks to do. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't care. I can hit the volume up. I don't need to say, Alexa, turn up the volume. You know, that's, you know, kind of just surface level stuff. I want it to do something far deeper and it's not there. I think that's... um. That's a problem with a lot of home automation things. It's like the time it takes, the awkwardness and time it takes to actually give a command you could have done by just pulling out your phone and hitting a button. And yeah, uh, that and, troubles me. 
And the syntax, too. I mean, Alexa, Google, Apple, do I really want to remember what I need to say to all three of them? It's a different language. So it's kind of, I mean, it's cool, but it's technology for technology's sake for a lot of things. It's certainly great for other areas, but in terms of smart speakers and all of that, I don't know. It's just, it's not that beneficial. And I'm a huge fan of all-in-one speakers because I think that's the new console stereo that gets families together. Yeah, it definitely is. What what strikes me, and, and this is with the original HomePod and now with the HomePod Mini, anyone who's going to buy one of those already has Apple devices. So why do you need a speaker to, to have Siri when you've got it in your iPhone or your watch or your Mac for that matter? And I don't understand why, yes, maybe, okay, I can leave my iPhone in another room and still get Siri to do something. But it seems like a, a weird overlap in, you know, this, like people I know who have Siri on multiple devices, they say, hey, Siri, and all their devices light up because the, they, they haven't figured out yet how to just have the closest one answer you. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure that, I mean, yes, the future is home automation. It is personal assistance, but I'm not entirely sure that this is the way it's going to look in 10 years. Agreed. It is going, I think it's going to be vastly different. And there's a unique company out too that I tell people to look at, josh.ai. It's kind of like, how do we create something that's opposite from the big tech companies doing this and more of a, you know, we're not going to sell all your data. We're not this big conglomerate that can do everything with it. It's, it's kind of a high-end version of uh, voice activation stuff. Okay, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Links in the show notes to the Audiophile Style website, and particularly to the articles about you setting up your listening room in the attic. I hope we can talk to you in less than a year next time. Would love to. Thanks for having me, guys. The Next Track Podcast does not do ads, no sponsors of any kind. We just have this. If you like the podcast, why not become a patron of the show? Send us a dollar or two via Patreon. And I'm not kidding, just a a couple of bucks a month would be great. You don't feel you have to go overboard. You can make the arrangements by going to patreon.com slash the next track. Future listeners will salute you. It's next track time. What do you have for a pick this week? I have a new record, a new CD that I just got in the mail two days ago. It is Brian Eno Film Music, 1976 to 2020. Now, Brian Eno has two albums called Music for Films, which were specific tracks that he made for films with the idea that they might be used for films, and they weren't necessarily used for films. This new CD is a collection of tracks that were used in films from 76 to 2020, 17 tracks from Eno's most recognizable film and television work spanning five decades. You know, he's done a lot of film soundtracks. He's done a lot of television stuff. Sometimes it's relatively short, like the film The Lovely Bones. I think there was about 12 or 16 minutes of music. There's a piece of music called Under, a film called Cool World, directed by Ralph Bakshi in 92. Ralph Bakshi is the guy that made Fritz the Cat. Under is a, a track that was on the 1991 album My Squelchy Life and then re-released on Another Day on Earth. So some of these songs songs, tracks. They're not all songs. Some of them have vocals, some don't. If you know Eno's work, you'll recognize some of them. There's a piece from a 1978 Derek Jarman film. There's a piece from Gary Hustwitz's documentary called Roms about Dieter Roms, which I, I don't know if I talked about this for my next track, but it was released, the soundtrack for this film was released on Record Store Day, so I bought the vinyl, which came with a download code. 
There's, let's see, another Derek Jarman film, Heat, by Michael Mann. That was a track by Brian Eno. I had no idea. Jonathan Demme's Married to the Mob is another one. There's a, there's a Michelangelo Antonioni from 1995, Beyond the Clouds. I listened to this record once, and there's something, you know, it's like a compilation record, never really sounds like a record, but somehow this does, because there's that thread of Enoism all throughout. It's really an interesting record, not necessarily to pay attention to, but the first few times to just listen in the background to get the feel of the, of the tone. And again, this is music that spans 45 years almost, so there's a wide variety, yet it still sounds like Brian Eno. Doug, what have you got? I have got the second album by the British band Spooky Tooth, which came out in 1969. Spooky Tooth is uh, what I'll call one of those organ combos, like uh, like Vanilla Fudge. Like a lot of bands were like that were popular at the time. Although they kind of went in a blues rock, psychedelic, improvisational uh, direction. Both their albums, up until this one, were produced by Jimmy Miller, who had done stuff with Spencer Davis and Traffic and later of the Rolling Stones. Although I'm, I'm wondering why they both sound like they were recorded in a grain silo. This, the, both the first and second album are got a lot of reverb in them. But other than that, the, you know, the record's fun to listen to, and there's something there to, to get. Now, here's an interesting story about Spooky Tooth. They had these two well-loved um, records, at least by the critics, come out. They didn't sell a lot, but the critics liked them. But then they went and, and recorded a, an album with this French uh, experimental uh, keyboardist. And they brought it to the record company and said, all right, you can put this album out under this guy's name. But the record company insisted that it be put out as a Spooky Tooth album. Now, the experimental music they did was nothing like the Spooky Tooth music that they were doing. And unfortunately, this kind of ruined their career. Their trajectory nosedived when this album came out. Now, they did get together later on with different personnel and things like that. For instance, um, one of the interesting guys in the band was Mick Jones, the guy who founded Foreigner. Not that Mick Jones. The Foreigner Mick Jones was in it for a while. Uh, the original Spooky Tooth was led by Gary Wright, who later went on to become famous with his album Dreamweaver. Uh, and it had a couple of singles from that in the 70s. Greg Ridley, the bass player, went on to join Humble Pie. The original guitar player became Ariel Bender and replaced Mick Ralphs in Mott the Hoople when Mick Ralphs went to Bad Company. So everybody landed okay. It's just unfortunate that there isn't more like the early Spooky Tooth, like this one. Spooky Tooth, Spooky Two is my next track. This was episode number 197 of the next track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at NextTrackCast. And don't forget you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. For ad-free and self-sustaining, it's your support that keeps us going. So visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.